welcome to The Systemic Way. This episode, we're going to speak to Helen Bonnick, who is a consultant, speaker and trainer on child to parent violence and abuse. She qualified as a social worker in 1983 and has since worked as a practitioner, supervisor and educator. At the moment, she offers training and consultation services to local authorities, other groups and individuals. She's also the author of a fantastic book which is called a A practitioner's guide to working with families um, child to parent violence and abuse i don't know what to say says apart from the book one is absolutely fantastic we highly recommend it i think we both got a lot out of it and um, it was a real honor to have a conversation with helen who is just so informative about the topic of child to parent violence and abuse but also has done so much to promote conversations around it yeah absolutely it was it's inspiring to hear isn't it um like most of our podcasts when we meet Mm -hmm. the guests and they get to talk about their passion and their their research that turns into practice and to policy it's 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 amazing to hear what really stuck out for me um is well i'll frame it as what we're interested in the podcast julian we talk about this a lot don't we we're preparing is how kind of like the non-typical systemic ideas Mm. cross-pollinate with systemic ideas yeah how how they can kind of be absorbed into a family therapy approach or or whatever and um that was one of the things i was thinking about how is this going to cross over and what really stuck out is how systemic helen was in everything she spoke about it was just Mm. so wide it was it was looking at a, a, a thing that is very much within the system of the family the violence that occurs between children towards their parents but within the family and how how wide she was able to kind of think about what influences that very kind of private in in the house situation and look at different influences i thought i remember i was just listening to her thinking this is so systemic um yeah so that really i had the out. same thought i had the same thought is really it was it, yeah she speaks very systemically i suppose the only other thing that i want to say is sometimes when we do get to listen to these speakers and their passions i think when when's the penny gonna drop for me with one of these <laughs> passions <laughs> because they really are so passionate and i'm sure that, i hope there are people out there actually who've got passion who, who get inspired by by listening to these conversations or the when's the penny going to drop to be able to talk as systemic as them you know <laughs> yes <laughs> so, no it's a real privilege listening to them and, and today was really it made it made me think about straight away going into practice and having having some of these ideas in my mind when she spoke about not all families that experience these multiple factors that she speaks about they don't always result in child to parent violence but knowing that it's a risk factor um, mm. and how that might um formulate your questions or for us like a hypothesis we might have right we might say if if all this stuff's going on for this kid is it manifesting in some violence at home Mm -hmm. and you might hold hold that as a hypothesis when you're working with a family um and being able to bring that to the conversations where also knowing or also having a hypothesis that families might not be able to bring that to you because of the shame and the stigma that's um that characterizes this particular type of violence was really helpful so yeah we hope everybody enjoys it today and yeah we look look forward to some feedback or some responses or any kind of thoughts that come up for people (laughs) 
welcome to The Systemic Way. So today we're going to be speaking to Helen Bonnick, who is a consultant, speaker and trainer of child to parent violence and abuse. Um, you're also the author, we should say, of a fantastic um, practitioner's guide to working with families on child to parent violence and abuse. And I think Cesar and I have both been leafing through your book a lot over the past few weeks. Um, and we're really honoured to have you here as our guest to speak with us. Thank you, Julian. Thank you, Cesar. It's a real pleasure to be here. And I've been looking forward to this for, for quite some time now. So it, I'm looking forward to unpacking all sorts of systemic ideas with you around this, this topic. Okay, thank you. Um, so what we're talking about today is specifically around your work and your research, your ideas on child to parent violence and abuse. Um, and it's it's good to kind of state it. Your background is as a social worker and um, we're quite interested in where where, the, where it started, you know, the origins of the idea and where your kind of journey to to producing the book, but also mm -hmm. in just doing the work, where, where some of that stemmed from. Okay. Well, it starts a long time ago. So I um, qualified as a social worker in 1982-83. And um, I uh, my first job was um, in a in a team where we did everything. This was in the time before the separation between adults and children social work. And we were very much embedded in the local community. Uh, and, and a lot of our work was about developing networks, doing preventive work, um, joining people together and looking at um, how people lived in community and within systems, if you like. Uh, and it, one of those occasions, uh, we were we came across a mother who who reported that she was being beaten up by her son, and it was it was very distressing for all of us. Uh, but particularly because this was something that there wasn't really a name for, um, and we really had no uh, sense of how we could support this mother or or what we could do either with her fear and anxiety on a daily basis or. Um, in supporting the family to, to change and develop that relationship. And I think it's probably fair to say that it was very much seen as um, uh, that there was, we were viewing them as two separate individuals, I think, as, as a parent who was failing to be able to control the child and as a young man who was being very violent and, and was problematic in that sense. And I think that experience stayed with me really then on, on, in the back of my mind and really drove the work going forward when it when it emerged again so that I I went on to work within schools and did a lot of work again networking and, and uh, development work preventive work uh, and early intervention within schools and was again coming across families where parents were saying we can't get my my child into school they won't go um, issues around behavior within school and, and within the home and trying to again to understand what was going on there and to have a sense of that wasn't totally parent blaming trying to move away from from the the kind of typical diagnosis if you like that that this was a parenting problem that the parents were um needed to just do something better or more in order to to gain control and, and authority within the situation and then um, I had a, an opportunity to do some, some more study. I took a master's degree in uh, 2004, 2006 and decided to 
uh, take as my the subject of my dissertation then I looked at how easy it was or the the access to, to help for parents who were living with child to parent violence and abuse and at that time we were calling it parent abuse because um the name there are many many names for this issue <laughs> and they they keep changing um at that time we were, we were that was the term we were using um we've moved on from there and we, we tend to use i tend to use child, child to parent violence and abuse because uh, um, one of the reasons with parent abuse was people kept assuming we meant abuse by parents uh and we wanted to make it very clear the direction of, of travel if you like that this was from the child to the parent um, and within that child, I would include any, any child from very young up to um, 18 or mid-20s um, is the usual understanding if there are special special circumstances, special needs. Um, and parent, we would include uh, anyone in a parenting role. So that might be step-parents, adoptive parents, foster parents, um, grandparents, aunts, uncles, kinship relationships, any sort of relationship where that's um, a parenting role and we include violence and abuse now much more because we recognize that um, not all abuse is violent and that much of what parents experience will be at an emotional or a, a psychological level so um uh, I started looking at <laughs> I've wandered off track already I started looking at how easy it was for parents to get help and and I realized that it was phenomenally difficult for me to find this out and um, in 2004, 2006, there was very little literature written. There was some research emerging, but, but not very much. And I realised that if it was hard for me with quite a lot of time on my hands and not the urgency of the situation to find help, it was going to be even more difficult for, for parents living with this on a daily basis to get the help they needed. And so that then drove me forward and it became like, um, people use the expression a dog with a bone. It was something that I couldn't let go of. And for years, then it seemed, uh, the first thing I said as I came out of this, this master's degree was, um, okay, I've got to get this, I've got to get this on woman's hour. I gave myself a year to get it on woman's, <laughs> which is a bizarre sort of goal to give yourself at one level. Um, and I think it, I, I, I pestered woman's hour researchers so much, um, and I did. It wasn't. I think it wasn't on in in the year, and uh, but it was on very soon afterwards. And I was so pleased that it was being taken up as and starting to be talked about, and and, and parents were starting to hear about this in the mainstream media uh, um, as an issue. So I then started saying to people, you know, what what can I do? I was really getting myself involved in a network. I was. Um, going to conferences going to um speaking to other practitioners i was learning that there were practitioners within youth offending teams who were coming across this there was people within domestic abuse organizations who were coming across this and i started to, to just talk to people all the time and to think about what can i do um and someone suggested start a website and they and the, the sense was there's there is nothing there's there's no way of of joining all this information together and so that's how my website Holes in the Wall came about. And that was launched in, in 2011. Uh, and um, uh, crazily, I obviously, you know, because these, obviously I chose to launch it on the weekend of my son's graduation. So <laughs> I'm at, in Glasgow for his graduation in a hotel room, trying to press send and, <laughs> and get this thing live and, and publicize. But it was, it, it was just completely crazy. And, 
um, I had no idea how to do a website. I had one of my sons build it for me. And then I wrote the first blog and it was like, well, I've said everything is, is to say now. So what happens next? Um, so it was just, I don't know why I thought this was a clever idea, but, but over the years, so this is the last 10 years, I've got really, this has become my passion, if you like. Um, and this could be a full-time job. So the, the website's grown now to have um, a number of different pages. Um, and I, I try to put on there everything that I can find to do with child violence and abuse. So there's a link to research that's going on and around the world. There's any events and training opportunities that I come across. Uh, I'm building and rebuilding the directory at the moment for services for, for families. Uh, and many, uh, there's, there's too many pages to, to list. There's a page about what I call Sound and Vision, which is where I bring together all the links that I've, I've come across. And somebody is, somebody's told me it's a, it's a bit chaotic, <laughs> and it is. It's not a clean website. I know lots of people spent lockdown rebuilding their websites. And um, if you look at websites these days, they're very um, simple and straightforward and very, and very professional. <laughs> and, and mine's a bit chaotic, I grant you that. But that's because I do it as a part-time thing with no experience in IT technology. <laughs> and I'm just trying to bring everything together. So um, it is it is very much a thing about have a look at it, take out the bits that are useful to you. There's no need to read everything, but, but it's there for people as a place to come to find out more um, and to link in with other people. I so believe in networking. I think it's so important that we talk to each other, we share ideas. And almost everybody that I've spoken to in this field has been so happy and so willing to share knowledge and understanding. And that's been a real privilege to be part of that network. It's, it's, I think your story, and that's one of the things we love about the website, is so in, inspiring to hear how someone follows their passion and, <laughs> and, and where it leads them. Yeah. And I think it's really nice for you to say as well that, the website is, you know, it's not a sleek, smart thing. It's, it is, you know, it's there as a resource. It's there to start conversations, um, you know, just for other people who are listening to, to lead and to follow what they're interested in. I, I suppose one of the things I was really curious about is, you know, what what it is in you about feeling like we need to have conversations about this. We need to be talking about child to parent violence. I've been so privileged that my experience of raising children and indeed grandchildren has been an, a relatively easy one. I mean, we don't have a free ride here, um, but, you know, we, I've had a, a happy time with my kids with, with little ups and downs, but nothing more than you would normally expect. But for some so too many families, that's not um, their experience. And so I'm I feel like I'm learning all the time. I this is my knowledge and my what I talk to people about isn't through my personal experience, but it's very much through listening to other families. Um, and I, I think it's so important that we hear from those that are impacted by this because they are the experts in this. Um, and they are um, the people who have have already, by the time people ask for help, they've already been living with this for a long time. They've developed so many ways of surviving, of living with this, of keeping safe. So we need to be listening, first of all, to other people. Um, and then because um, families don't live in isolation, individuals don't live, people don't live on their own. We're all part of a wider network, a wider community, whether that's 
our extended family or our neighborhood or our school or our faith group or whatever we're part of. We have those um, systems around us. Um, and there's so many joined up things that we need to be thinking about. Uh, each of those people, each of those um, layers, if you like, that people are engaged in will have an important role to play either in supporting a family or in understanding a, a, a part of the issue, which is why this family is struggling in the relationships. Or it might be that they are actually making, there might be something going on that's making this worse and, and really influencing um, the behaviour and the relationship in a negative way. So we we need to bring all that knowledge and all that understanding together in order to see the family in the round. Uh, and then to be able to bring in perhaps multiple agencies in order to fully understand and to fully support a family. That would be my, that, I, mean, I think that's what I'm some ways trying to work towards at the moment in, in another project that I've got going is, is to really encourage agencies, departments to, to see that, they, that we need to be talking to each other at that level not just saying, oh, it's it's not our problem. You need to go over there to that agency. It's their problem. Um, but we need to understand how um, all of us have a can have a role in in supporting families in in bringing about um, increased safety through meeting a child's needs, meeting a person's needs, meeting a parent's needs, in order to strengthen that part of the 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 unit, uh, in order to bring about change. That was quite a long answer. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> um, just just hearing your kind of the, the progress of it being through practice and uh, you recognising the kind of the prevalence of this type of family abuse and then doing your dissertation around it and then following it through. I mean, that's, that's it's so inspiring. Mm. Um, and then seeing how it can have impact on policy and government changes. Um, we spoke to Carleen Furman recently, actually, um, and quite a similar story in, in with contextual safeguarding. So bringing something that's quite invisible, really, yeah. um, to policymakers and making it visible. And I'm, I'm interested in how that occurs or how it did occur in this, mm. in, in child parent violence. So there's two things, I guess, in, in, the, in there, like the various definitions around it. And you, you began to speak about it. So different organisations creating different constructions and understanding of what's going on, how to address it and how that creates a bit of a kind of jumble or chaos within, within the system. And then also the other bit is about the stigma and the shame that this particular mm -hmm. form of family violence is characterized. Mm -hmm. Just, yeah, um, just some of your thoughts around those. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to come on to the shame. The shame one is an easier one to want, explain really, but if I answer that first, I'll forget the other question. So, um, I think it's really what happened around um, just leading up to 2010, really. I, I mean, I, I, it's easy to think in decades in some ways, isn't it? But kind of around that time, just before, just after, we see an emergence of lots of different types of research in different fields um, where people were stumbling over this issue. And uh, it's incredible to look back on now how this was happening, but with, within research, within housing, within um, um, antisocial behaviour, within adoption, 
uh, within the youth justice system, within many fields, people were independently doing uh, a piece of research and then said, and look, we found this and we didn't know, we weren't expecting to find this, but this is a thing. What are we going to do about this? Um, and so within all these different fields, people were saying, um, help, what do we do? We need to start talking about this and we need to start thinking about this. And when we talk to, to practitioners, everybody says, yes, it hasn't got a name, but we're coming across this all the time. And because it was coming up in different agencies, if you like, people were framing it within their understanding. So within a youth justice framework where people are used to thinking about young people as offenders, there was a tendency to, to and, and antisocial behaviour. There was a problem because it didn't fit antisocial behaviour because it was happening inside the home rather than outside. But there was still this prevailing um, notion that the young people are the problem um, and that parents need to be held responsible for the young people's behaviour. And so we need to hold them accountable. Um, if you like, punish them further. Um, send them on parenting courses. So there was that kind of thing going on within youth justice. Within children's services, where there was a sense that um, we need we work to protect children from their parents, and the danger is seen in com as coming from that direction. It was very difficult within that. If you, you're starting from that framework, it's very difficult to, to, to shoehorn or squeeze this type of behavior into that model um, and so it becomes distorted and your understanding of what's going on is necessarily distorted because your framework is is so rigid um, and so you have a tendency again to to, to view this as um, poor parenting because um, that's what's allowing these children to behave in that way and, and children being viewed perhaps as beyond parental control which would fit within the the children act but uh, but really struggling to to see this as a problem that that is relevant to to children's services where you're looking to protect the children within domestic abuse um fit the the field if you like of domestic abuse work where you're looking again normally you're expecting it to be between intimate partners that the issue um and it's it's taken a long time within that that field for us to understand that um abuse can come from many places, whether that's with a current relationship, a past relationship, different members of the family, the wider circle. Uh, and, and so within all these different agencies where people were coming across it, there was people were struggling to fit this issue into their framework of um, this is how we respond. This is what we do when this problem comes along. And and I I have so much. You were saying you were talking to Colleen Furman. I have so much admiration for her, but also drawing on her work and her understanding that um, the importance of looking sometimes outside the family for what's going on, mm -hmm. and not always um, looking to within the family. So um, within child parent violence and abuse, yes, we know that often there are there are huge issues going on within the family and within the family unit, which may be contributing towards this. But also there are often um, other things going on outside. And if we can start to um, understand children, young people and their parents as, as one system rather than discrete individuals who are fighting or are hitting or are arguing or are working dysfunctionally, if we can understand them as a system uh, who all 
how are struggling to relate to each other and to express their emotions and to meet each other's needs and to find work out how what, how they relate to each other. Yeah, if we understand the family more as a system, we need to be able to the way we protect, the way we safeguard young people is in ensuring that the whole family system is strong and robust and well and healthy. And um, we protect young people by also protecting the parents. If the parents are not are struggling, are um, under pressure, are really not not coping at the time, we need to be putting that support in there yeah, in order to strengthen them to support to keep the children safe. We keep the child safe. We keep the, the parents safe by keep understanding that this is a unit that, that everyone is relating to each other we need to keep everybody safe so i would want to move towards that sort of model of, of understanding if you like family safeguarding rather than um looking at solely as, as a, a child safeguarding way and now that, you, you, that family approach really shines through in the book like your whole mm. there's massive um chapters about family assessment and the whole family intervention mm. and i got that kind of relational approach to it so much from your book and I was surprised when when I was reading into the into this topic um which was a part of my dissertation is where I first contacted you yeah. <laughs> yes um that there really wasn't a, a, a strong um presence within like family therapy research family therapy mm. um practices we've got NVR and there's yeah. been a few kind of research there, but the real kind of approaching it from a relational approach um, has been mainly non-existent, which really yeah. was really surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was very much, as you say, an isolated in different big organisations, youth offending, domestic violence, children's services. And a lot of the time, they were, it seems like they were kind of um, colliding against each other rather than working together. Yeah. So I'm really... Um, interested to hear about this other project that you're working on because that's maybe we can get there at the end but that's something I, I would love to know more about about how we start bringing these um different paradigms I think one of your chapters is like the problem of two paradigms isn't yeah. it and, and how, how that is a massive problem for this particular thing but if we dive a little bit deeper into that I guess I'm thinking about um the, the, the concept of perpetrator victim and how complicated that is when we think about child to parent violence. Well, you asked earlier about shame, and I think that that links in with that, um, in that um, we there's a real danger that parents come for help and and are saying, you know, I'm frightened of my child. I'm, uh, by the time we need to understand that by the time parents come for help, things are quite serious, as I think I said already. So their parents are saying help. Um, I'm I'm frightened of my child. I'm frightened of what they might do. Um, and if we then, as as practitioners, say, well, well, hang on a minute. Let's look at what you're doing wrong here. We're essentially put. We're blaming them. We're re-victimizing them for what's going on. We're not hearing their um, their risk assessment of what what the danger that they're living in. Um, we're downplaying it. We're we're promoting a position where parents stop asking for help because they don't believe that anyone will hear them. Um, and anyone will um, take them seriously. We have which kind of 
maybe we shouldn't be surprised about because the whole, you know, the whole thing that, that women carry with them very much is about it's my job, it's my responsibility, I must be to blame. Um, the whole, you know, the role, their role is to uh, parent the next generation, to ch make children good and responsible and healthy citizens. So if you if you're faced with a, a, when I say their role is, you understand what I'm saying here. I'm not accepting sure. that that's their role, but that's the message of society. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. um, when that goes wrong, there's a huge sense of shame, of personal blame that what am I doing wrong? This must be me. Um, which means it's very difficult to talk to people because you feel so wretched. Um, and if you don't talk to anybody and everybody else is not talking to anybody, you can you can very easily end up believing that it's only you that's happening to. And it's made worse then as well because um, sometimes children will be behaving in a, in a, will be showing challenging behaviour in other scenarios. So perhaps in school, but often it, they may be very specifically targeting a, a parent, often the mother. And so um, other people will say you know come on you're, you're being hard on yourself when they're with me they're fine um they're it, he's a good boy really don't be so hard on him and so that again reinforces that sense of it's something to do with me it's my fault I'm to blame um there's it's just everything is piled on to the parent in terms of this is all their fault it's all something they've done wrong um, and so and there is just such a, a, a level of shame from from having failed in society's role for you, uh, of what you should be doing. Uh, and so we really it's so important when we respond to families, when we when we first listen to families, that we just give them the space to speak, that we just listen respectfully and hear their story, hear their version, hear their truth um, in order to affirm them and not pile more shame and more blame on, um, and, and to not re-victimise um, the parents in this situation. Um, but we also need to understand, too, that, that um, the parent, if you like, looks obviously like a victim. If they've got broken limbs, you know, black eyes, if, they're, if they've been hurt in some physical way, they, they look like a victim. But we need to understand that for, for the young person as well, um, that there may be a lot of issues going on for them, which is meaning that they're not able to um, find a proper, constructive, helpful, healthy way of expressing their emotions, communicating their fears. They may be being um, victimised outside of the home. Perhaps they're being uh, exploited within gangs. Perhaps they're being exploited sexually criminally outside of the home. Within the home, there may be other people coming in or living in the home who are abusing them. They may be living with domestic abuse. They may be um, struggling with bullying within school. They may be um, themselves um, struggling with their poor mental health. There are so many things that could be going on, which actually mean that, that this young person also has needs and and should not be seen solely as a perpetrator and we do try and move away from using that term so within adult intimate partner violence you will typically use the term perpetrator and people are very clear what that means and people are generally comfortable about using that term but with young people who are 
using violence in the home against their parents or siblings or, or, or pets. Um, we try not to use that term because it's it's considered um, that labelling that person in that way is really unhelpful in that we 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 stop to see them as a whole whole person. We stop understanding their vulnerability, their needs, um, the fact that they are still develop, their brain is still developing, they're not fully in control perhaps of their emotional regulation, their cognitive executive function isn't fully developed. Um, they may, as I say, they may be experiencing abuse themselves in other contexts. So, so we we have a situation, if you like, where we have um, we have several we have two victims here, um, and so it's important to to look at um, the need, the healing needs, the the health needs of, of both those of both those parties um, in the relationship. And, and ultimately, this is about healing and restoring a relationship, finding a way for people to live together safely uh, and to move through move through an understanding of what's going on for them um, to start resolving all those those individual issues, whether that's about help with substance abuse, whether that's about rescuing from um, some ex uh, exploitation, whether that's about um, a proper diagnosis of mental health needs and, and the help that's needed around that. And that might be for parents as well as for the young person. Um, so we, I, I want to, to support people to move towards that, that more holistic understanding of, of this as a relationship issue, not just of one person versus one person. Thanks, Helen. I, I was just wondering, actually, over the time that you've been going out and speaking to people and offering trainings and yeah. consulting, have you have you noticed a change, a difference, or how people have responded and been able to to view child to parent violence and abuse and work with it? Um, I think yes. <laughs> I mean, well, the first thing I would say is that that every time that I've spoken about this, without fail afterwards someone in the audience or has come up to me and said can I talk to you about my experience and we need to um, recognize that this isn't something that only happens to a particular part of the population mm -hmm. but that that this um, is is quite widespread and and we we can't have the separation of um, practitioner and parent we need to understand that that sometimes practitioners are also being abused by their young people and mm -hmm. uh, within research as well there's a number of research projects going on at the moment where um uh, where people are, are researching from their own lived experience mm -hmm. so um th that would be the first thing i would say but also uh, what's been encouraging is that much more um People are saying, "Yes, we're coming across this in our team." Uh, very, very early on, when I uh, when I was doing my masters, I would be interviewing people, and they would, and I would come across the response of, "Well, who says this is abuse?" Mm. Um, and a kind of uh, some degree of denial, or some people wanting to to refocus on on you know, well, let's get the parenting sorted out. That's much less so now. So there is. Um, a, a growing awareness, a growing understanding, uh, and, and a lot more training. Whether that's at the level of awareness training, or whether that's in the level of of actual practice and, and program development, but there's far, far much, far greater awareness now um, within all fields. I think uh, of this as an issue and how um, how people should be and can be responding in a more helpful way. 
So I suppose we were just talking um, about how people, you know, um, might have changed their, how they might view it. And I guess one of the questions we were thinking is like, why now? Why, why did you decide to write the book when you did? Um, and what's helped, you know, what's changed to make people more aware of it? Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the book is an interesting question because I was trying to write that for a long time and I had several attempts at that um, probably five years overall I should think that I was starting it and th- people I was going I said to you before I was going to all these conferences and networking and talking to people and, and started presenting um, short um, presentations really about my website and about my understanding of the issues um, and people started saying you know you should write a book <laughs> which is very flattering but isn't terribly practical really <laughs> um, but I did but it, it I I enjoy words, um, so it was something that I I did want to do, but it was finding the way in. And I I made several starts, and it was very dry and not very interesting. Um, and then um, a few years, uh, twenty maybe twenty thirteen, I can't remember now. Um, I was invited to present at Community Care Live with um, Al Coates, who's uh, involved in within the adoption community, particularly a social worker who's involved mm. there. And we developed a format for our, our joint presentation and it just made sense. And so that was the format, if you like, the framework that I used then when I went on to write the book. And so actually in terms of writing it, it, it happened quite quickly because once I'd done that presentation, it just fell into place. And then within a year, I'd got something um, very clear in, in terms of the structure and the content. Mm-hmm. So um, it was waiting for the right time very much in terms of my ideas coming together. But also I'm glad and I say I'm glad that I didn't do it before that time. It wouldn't have been so good. <laughs> but also I learned, you know, I, I'm very conscious that I'm learning all the time and that the position that I was in at that point um, was a very different one to um, I was at five years previously to that in terms of my understanding of the issues and the nuance, if you like, of, of the issues. And, um, I, you know, in the early days, I was very definite. This is the issue. This is what's going on. And, and moving towards a much more nuanced, nuanced understanding of, um, of different, um, different influences, different um, systems going on. And also much more um, aware of my own ignorance, if you like. Um, and the need to be constantly learning myself and listening to people and um, being willing to adjust my ideas and my understanding as new information became available. So uh, for me, the timing was right, um, and the book was published um, 2019. Um, So that was a good time to publish it. Uh, And it meant we could have a party before that we had lockdown as well, which was quite good. (laughs) Uh, but but I think it, what is also interesting in terms of that question is um, why now are we so much more aware of these issues? And I um, I do think in large part that is down to the relentless campaigning of a number of people. Uh, so people have had to put up with me banging on about it for for a while, but not just me. There have been many very brave parents who've spoken to the media in that time, um, journalists who, who've really taken this, this 
as an issue they want to run with and support and and I've really spent a lot of time investigating what's going on. Um, some of those original researchers who tripped over this issue then became really focused and, and went into to this further. And so there, it's, it's like there's a, some people talk about an alignment of the planets or whatever, um, but there's very much a sense that that from very different angles, people have come together and suddenly this has become a live issue and um, have promoted it in many different scenarios. Um, and so suddenly the groundswell of knowledge and understanding has, has reached a pitch where you can't be ignored anymore. And obviously within lockdown, there was a great focus on um, domestic abuse generally, sadly, um, because of what was going on and what we knew would, would be happening inside homes where people had no escape. But also we started to learn more in that time as well about um, the, the impact on families where there were children using violence. And so, again, the, the, we, are, we have more understanding and more awareness and there's been more in the media as a result. And um, this, in the, even in the last couple of months, there's been a number of big pieces in mainstream media. There's more coming up. Uh, and so there are always more and more, it, it leads to more and more people either saying, oh, I need to adjust my thinking on this, or, you know, thank God this is here. It's not just me. There are other people that are experiencing this as well. Perhaps I can talk to somebody about this. So um, it's, it's, encouraging always to see that growth of awareness and, and, and understanding out there yeah and that's something I really enjoyed about the book or enjoyed I don't know if that's the right word like it's, it's, I know I know how do you what do we say <laughs> the the focus that you gave to people's stories and their lived experiences of it it was so touching I, I was reading I was like oh my god just there was one line I I think I read it too late in the night. I shouldn't have read it before bed. But it was like when the, my child held me up against the wall, my 11-year-old son, held me, how embarrassing and shameful that is. And it just, it's just so impactful. And it just makes you realise, okay, like this is a huge issue on so many levels. And um, the importance of unveiling the, the, the shame and stigma and the, the secrecy around this mm -hmm. is now allowing us to understand what actually is, is occurring. Because it's clearly not a sudden phenomenon of our society mm -hmm. and I know in your book you also I think you, you date it you bring a Socrates quote don't yeah. you just show how <laughs> yeah how that's not down to me I have to say I didn't research that one that's one that's been floating around in the in the network for a long time <laughs> yeah um yeah. but within that it's still always been hidden the truth of uh, what the, the experiences so yeah bringing out those um stories I think is just going to one, yeah, allow people to access support um, and address, but also for professionals working with families experiencing this, begin to have some kind of strategy or understanding of how to work with families um, experiencing this, because it is so complicated on so many levels. And I was just thinking as well, says when you're talking about when you well, when you're giving the example from the book of an 11 year old holding a parent up against a wall of, you know, that the issue of power as well and the reversal of that you know the power dynamic that you imagine within a family and and of course the shame that must come alongside that and I didn't know if there were other things around power Helen that you you wanted to share really the the thing that is about our understanding of power is often that we're using 
our own power unconsciously without mm. really well if it's unconscious we're not really aware of it um but there is a i think we as practitioners i was supposed to be very aware of the power that we have in that relationship mm. and uh to use that carefully to be to be aware of it and then to use it carefully and I, and that comes back to not re-victimizing people but it also comes back down to um an understanding of who's the expert in this situation and i think we as practitioners sometimes it's hard to um put aside that that you know we've done the training we've got the badge we've got the certificate but we might not be the expert it might actually be that the parent in front of us that we're trying to support is the expert in this they've lived with this they've perhaps read more about it they've certainly got a, a broader understanding of the issues than, mm. than we may have um and so there's it's understand how do we make how do we make use of that piece of information and then hold that within the power of that relationship of we can you know we can we can use our power that comes with our position and our training and our experience to support that family to access resources perhaps for them um but that power can also be used in a in a a negative way if we are dismissive or if we um send someone away because we say you don't fit our criteria you're not um you know you're not bad enough wait till they hit you properly you know wait till it's really bad so it's about how understanding the power as practitioners that we hold in that situation and being very conscious of how we we're using that within the relationship with with the families that we support there's so if we, we look at the lens of like domestic violence and the feminist criticism of what you know in our system you know like that position of being curious yeah. when looking at violence and abuse um it's very tricky um holding that position yeah. it's just it's quite a, it's quite a difficult place to be when you're working with a family that you know they're going through this mm-hmm. it's how to position yourself i guess is my, my question or ideas around what families might need from professionals at that point listening and you talk about that in the book a lot the power of listening the power mm-hmm. of giving people the opportunity to tell their stories in a non-judgmental way so being informed by this and having this training around the nuances around power and um double victims or you know um helps with that but there's the, the call of action that comes up when you're faced with a family experience in this makes yeah. it quite tricky to work with and, and then the first thing it has to always be to to make sure the family is safe um has to be uh particularly if if uh, a parent has come with it with and there's a very real fear uh, an imminent danger so the first thing must always be to, to make sure that the family is safe and to, ins- to ensure that for, for all members of the family um, but the thing you said about being curious, I think, is it, we do need to explore what else is going on for this family. And as, when I talk in my book about the, the, in the chapter on assessment, um, about really being curious of, at, at every level, what uh, we're back again to, you know, this this is a ch- the, the child as an individual, what's going on for them, what happened pre-birth, perhaps, um, what what what's their personality, but then they exist within. Um, a relationship with their primary caregiver what's happening in there is 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 that person does that person have very strong very compelling needs which are also aren't being met or have they struggled to bond with the child what's uh, what's happening in that relationship but that 
they then exist within a wider family structure. That family structure, what you know, is there violence? Is there support? Um, is there understanding? Is there poverty? What's going on in that situation? Are there added stresses? Are there complications of disability or, or mental health? Um, that family exists within a community, within um, within a neighbourhood. Uh, you know, is that a violent neighbourhood? Is that a neighbourhood where, um, which, you know, I, I live in an amazing neighbourhood. I couldn't ask to live somewhere better. And, you know, everyone is supportive and looking out for each other. And I'm sure, but I'm sure even here within, you know, there are pockets or there are individuals who feel unsupported for all sorts of reasons. But so what's what's going on? Who are the the people who are giving and developing enabling a family to develop resilience who are the people who are undermining what's going on um what what are and then within the wider society you know is there war going on is this a family who are escaping conflict is there a pandemic going on you know what's what's the wider context for this and also what are the messages that that this this society gives about the role of, of women, of parents, of the boy child, of the girl child. Um, what are the unspoken stories and scripts that this family is living out about who is valuable, who is important, who deserves protection, who maybe doesn't? Um, what's the right way to behave? So all there are so many different layers of um, in, involvement, interaction that we need to be curious about. All these things need to be understood in order to be able to support this family fully um and obviously you know that might take years to fully understand that family i'm not suggesting that we wait and don't do anything until we get there but we need to hold these in mind and to be um you know when as things will emerge we need to be um asking more questions and about bringing in other support services perhaps so i talked earlier about there might you know we might be a need for multiple agencies involved in a family which is always a tricky one and uh, you know you there's a need perhaps to have a lead agency in a very clear sense of who's leading the work in this way um, but but in order to bring in the support of specialists whether that's in terms of mental health or whether that's in terms of substance use or whether in terms of youth offending um, we need to draw on that expertise certainly but um but it's it's so important that all these people are talking to each other because uh, without these little pockets of knowledge of understanding of expertise, we don't have the full picture, and so we can uh, we can miss something really important and we can leave a family vulnerable and at risk. Um, and we have seen that happen when there's very tragically been been deaths. If we look at the, the domestic homicide reviews. Um, time and time again, we see that um, the agencies are criticised for not communicating with each other, not sharing information, not working as a team. So it, it, that really un, uh, underpins my my sense that it's so important to build that network of agencies, not just a supportive network for the family, mm-hmm. but that as as uh, pr- practitioners, uh, we're speaking to each other and working together to support um, and to bring about healing and safety and, and well-being. And I'm interested in like in, when working with families um, where there is these multiple factors, multiple difficulties going on. And can there be like a hierarchy within that, you know, like a rank of this need needs to be addressed more than 
like mm. the school refusal needs to be addressed or the antisocial or the criminal behavior is what we need to focus on. And then something which is not clearly defined or hasn't been um, adolescent, like child to parent violence, mm. can it get lost within it because of all these other I think that's a really interesting question. I think that that I mean that answers it in itself. In that, yes, that all these none of these things are new, are they? And we've said, you know, child to parent violence and abuse isn't new, um, but but we've missed it because we've focused on all the, all these other things that have been going on for years. We've been looking at them, and we've been trying to get a child into school um, and um, criticizing the parent for not being able to get them out of bed, perhaps. So you know, we've been looking at what's going on with substance use and not perhaps also seeing that um, the parents are having the money taken for the, to pay the debts or are having to clear the debts um, themselves. We've been looking at lots of other issues, but we've not seen this little this thing in the corner that is just quietly sitting there getting bigger and bigger um, because we're, we haven't known to look for it. Um, now we know to look for it, and so we are seeing it. Uh, I, I don't. I think people say, "Is it getting worse?" I think that's a really interesting question, and one that we'll never know the answer to because um, we've certainly not been counting it for very long. And um, you know, we rely on people coming forward to say this is happening to me, so they've got to feel safe to do that. Then the people recording that those numbers have got to recognise it as an issue. They've got to have a system in place to make that recording. It's got to be followed, you know, followed up. There's so many different points at which that data is lost. So at one level, we can never know, is this getting worse or not? But we also, we can look at um, factors which we know are, or we understand to be linked to, um, to so stress within the family, we understand to be an issue which can make violence and abuse worse. And certainly we can see within um, the pandemic, within lockdown, that many families experienced a massive increase in stress, whether that was through fear about um, illness and ill health and um, death, whether it was the experience of, of death and bereavement, whether that was um, an experience of, of increased financial insecurity, whether it was about the, the, the thing about being all locked in together and not having any escape um, certainly, when we have looked at what went on with, in lockdown, there is some evidence that for some families the situation got worse, and for and it may be that there were more families impacted. But we also see that for some families the situation got better because our, our external stresses were taken away. So it, it's very complicated, and I, I'm conscious that I've wandered a long way from your original question. <laughs> Wandering's good. Wandering's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do a lot of wondering. I guess I was talking about how we can get lost Hierarchies, within yeah. with it, yeah. Um, but it has gone got me to think about something I was trying to ask earlier, actually. And again, I think I lost it in in what I was trying to say. Hearing the stories that you wrote in the book and mm -hmm. um or the, the the stories that people have contributed to the book and it illuminating the impact on families, that bit I was really interested in and, and finding learning more about the impact that this type of violence can have, the destruction it can have on families. Um, so just wanted to hear your thoughts around that from a fa family structure perspective or a family network perspective, how how this affects families. Yeah, and I think, I mean, this underlines why it's so important if we can support families early on, 
Um, and we're, you know, we're onto the whole argument about um, people for in many different scenarios don't get help until quite late, do they? We know that because of um, cuts to funding, decommissioning of services, um, raise, rising thresholds, poor staffing. All these things mean that in many different scenarios, in many different services, all sorts of people struggle to get help early on in their crisis and they they will tend to get support later on when there is nothing else to do and we know that that's more costly and we know that that's more costly financially to the state and we know that it's more costly to the individual um, so and, and that holds true for child to parent violence and abuse so if we can support families really early on when they start to say um, this is getting tricky um, or, or if we can go in early and, and um, we know that there are links with certain issues, we know that there are some things which make a family more vulnerable. So if we can put in support maybe early on in those those things, for instance, within where there's been intimate partner violence or where the child has experienced trauma or where there's some sort of um, um, neurodevelopmental condition, a mental health diagnosis all these things will tend to make a family more vulnerable they don't cause child to parent violence and abuse and we have to be really careful to be clear about that but they will they will make a family more vulnerable to um difficulties to extra stressors um and to a relationship breaking down so you know we ideally we would have early help we would have strong messages throughout society about um you know the 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 way respect for one another and i know a lot of that happens with school generally but but perhaps we need more in that respect um and and so in that level if we can support families early on we can um, enable people to talk to each other we can we can enable families to find more healthy ways of relating we can support um, families to meet a young person's developmental needs uh, we can find out what might be going on in a young person's life and we can we can get in there early and we can put in support systems to to stop that getting worse you know whether that's mental health whether that's bereavement whether that's something that's going on in school we can we can start to to put in work preventatively to to support that young person in what they're going through i mean going back a little bit i know this is a previous discussion but but i i there was a time when i used to see this as a kind of linear thing that either there was um there was something that was causing this and this was the outcome or you you either there was no child's parent violence or there was child's parent violence um if this was in your family it was going on and i moved to an understanding much more i talk about a venn diagram a massive venn diagram <laughs> because there are so many different issues and so and for some families there might be one very simple thing that um and not to say that it's simple but perhaps there's perhaps there's been a bereavement and a young person has been very traumatized by that. Perhaps they were very close to their grandfather, to an aunt, to somebody, a sister. Um, and they've really not, they've really struggled to process that. And they've um they're not able to communicate that sense of loss, of um perhaps added anxiety in their life, all those sorts of things that might be going on for that young person. They're not able to communicate them in a, a more healthy way. And so they start to 
um, become withdrawn and to, to demonstrate, communicate physically, if you like. So if we could uh, put that it's support in, in for that place. but So there might be for that young person, it might be just something as simple as bereavement counselling, as well as then helping them to understand healthy ways to communicate and the, uh, building that respect and the support and the, the understanding as a family unit. But for some families, there may have been, you know, early prenatal um difficulties and then perhaps the child's been been taken uh, taken away from the, the birth family and placed for adoption so you've got massive disruption and loss and um, attachment issues there and then they may because of all those things struggle within school so you've got those sorts of issues and because they're struggling in school they may be excluded and because they're excluded they may be getting into trouble in the streets um, and so for that family where you've got we're into Venn diagram territory now you've got multiple things going on um, and for that child in that family, there are many issues there that, that will need to be um, looked at and, and for that, that family to, to be supported. So is there a hierarchy within that um, of how, where, where do you start? I suppose um, we have to start with the first thing that comes up, don't we? We have to, if someone says they're not going to school, then we don't we can't say well hang on a minute let me ask you about all these other things first we have to start looking at, uh, at the thing that is presented um but bearing in mind always that this might not be the only thing that's going on um and again i suppose back to not being black and white and definite and this is i'm the expert this is bang 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 this is what we need to do um, but again, being curious, okay, this is happening. There's a problem in this respect. Is this the only thing that's happening? What else might be going on for this young person? If, if this is the reason they're not going to school, what, where, what's the implications in other parts of their life for this issue as well? Mm. Yeah. I think one, yeah. I think one of the things I was, I've sort of got from this conversation and what I'm hearing is that there's also something about quite a collaborative approach and being alongside a family and yeah. that, there might be multiple factors that are contributing to what's happening and there's something perhaps about naming and acknowledging all of these factors even if you might be attending and focusing on one thing at a time with mm. them indeed and mm. that thing about collaborative work I think is so important as well because as, as practitioners we have just a fleeting relationship with a family often and I know some practitioners may be engaged with for a number of years, but often it might be for a few months. Um, and so we are we need to, you know, we need to empower the, the parents and the other adults in this situation to have strategies in place. We, they, they need to have a, a, the resilience built in. They need to have the knowledge of what might be going on. They need to have the network supporting them established um all these things so that that they uh, this is collaborative because it's not us doing something to them it's us working alongside to enable them to do the work for the future mm. um and that might i mean i think nvr is a really interesting response to this because it's about um enabling parents to um to understand their relationship in a new way isn't it and to build a new way of relating uh, and to understand the importance of network and support and to feel able to call on other people for help in that situation. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but we have, people often say, is, "Is this a parenting problem?" Then is is it, this is is this a parenting problem? Yes and no, because it's a um, it, there is a problem with what's going on with this in this family, whether or not the parents are doing something wrong in the first place is complicated because sometimes there will be people have got into patterns of ways of re- responding to violence and aggression which are maybe not themselves helpful mm. but certainly the parenting is going to be part of the solution because the practitioner is not going to be there forever and the parent is going to be supported and encouraged and taught and trained to provide support and parents to this young person for for the future so um, it certainly is in that issue in that sense mm, yeah I don't Helen because I, I was just actually just thinking of a case that I'm working with of which there has been child to parent mm. violence and, and 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 I guess I was thinking about you know one of the things that was shared with me and I'm sure it's a common thing actually of the parent telling me you know sometimes it's really hard to like them yeah and I, I I was I don't know why I was thinking of that when you were talking and I guess you know you can have these parenting strategies and things like that but um, I don't know if you've got any words really to speak to that I mean I could completely understand but it's and my heart was breaking and I you know when it was said to me and it's very it's, it must it's a very difficult position I suppose to be in mm-hmm. um, for a parent and I was just wondering yeah if you had anything to to offer or to share. I, I, I suspect that it's a position that many parents find themselves yeah. in, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Whether there is violence and abuse or not, I think many people will have felt um, something's going on and I really don't like what you're doing, mm-hmm. um, the people you are with. And I know that's very different to I don't like them. Mm. Um, and helping a parent to untangle that and to mm. separate out what's going on there I think is sometimes important in itself and also to give permission to parents I think if we say to parents we, we can't be in a place where we're saying to parents you can't say that mm. <laughs> and that's that's kind of almost like a deeply embedded automatic response of so many people isn't it and we're back to kind of the unsupportive friends who's re-victimizing you can't can't say that that's the sort of thing you don't you know don't say that we have to give permission to parents to say that and then to unpack what that actually means and and how they feel themselves about that does that's such a painful position for mm. a parent to be in to to reach a point where they're admitting to to even themselves let alone to a, a, a therapist a counselor that that's mm. how they're feeling is is such a painful thing to do I'm sure um and a brave thing, I suppose. Very, I mean, it brings us brave. back to the beginning of this conversation that we had with you of allowing these conversations to happen and the importance of allowing these conversations to happen, yeah. of which you've done a huge, tremendous amount of work to raise the profile and, and give people permission in a way um, to do that. Yeah, I, I, I think well, there's still a long way to go, but I feel, I do think, that um we're in a much better position than we than we were mm-hmm. um yeah i feel a sense of satisfaction if you like that that, that that's where we're at at the moment that it's that we, it's something that's being talked about more widely in society but also at, at government departmental level that there's a recognition more widely that this is a thing that it needs addressing that it needs money thrown at it mm. um 
and it needs a consistency so it's not just a you know a little bit of funding for six months and then you're on your own mate but um, a sense that this is something we need to address and in order to address it properly we've got to have that that um, consistency and, and proper serious support yeah just hearing you both speak it, it just makes me think how how like the relationships and families can become so organized around the violence and that can become the main thing that their day-to-day interactions is focused on and all the other stuff that families experience or sh- you know you want them to experience just gets lost and how damaging that can be mm-hmm. and I was just thinking when I was hearing you Helen talk about like strategies to help families and and professionals with, with this it's beginning to kind of step back and maybe understand some of what takes place and the processes mm-hmm. even things about how families can just neglect that parents can neglect their own lives you know in dealing with the problem managing the symptom or the managing the difficult violent behavior becomes everything that they focus on and there's just energy not left for anything else and it kind of brings us onto the nvr stuff doesn't it that's kind of some of the stuff that nvr talks about mm. it's really good to like your book is so accessible in terms mm. of what to try what to think about and you're very careful in not taking the expert position but also it's very containing in it as well to say these are some of the stuff that's going on potentially mm. try this stuff there's some resources here um and i guess we're we're interested in what next really you beginning to you began to start saying it um what would be your hopes for the next stage of development mm-hmm. in, in research in the area there's um there's some interesting research going on at the moment but there, there's a, there are huge gaps in the research and i'm very conscious that um, that different communities will have a different experience of these issues because of different of different family structures and expectations, um, and I think that's been overlooked up till now. And um, so I would want to see more um, research drilling down into what what the, what is the experience of black families, what's the experience of families where there's disability, what's the experience for traveller families um, so we don't just have one model which is the unspoken white middle class model if you like or whatever and, and the assumption that this is this will hold true for all families um, we need to be much more careful about about how we understand difference and and how that might be played out in different communities and I absolutely don't mean by that that, that well violence is okay in some communities and we should accept it but about understanding that we can't just go in with a set of assumptions about what the solution will look like um, understanding different networks of support understanding that some things may not be so easy for people's access because of um, their situation Um, understanding the different pressures that being part of a community might bring in terms of further discrimination or um, problems in accessing other things so that I I really want to see some more focused um, work going on in that respect but what I I did mention that that I've got another project on the go which Mm -hmm. is really trying to build on because I'm such an inveterate networker um trying to build on that um that that those links that i have with people and to bring people to the table to talk about what next um so trying to encourage people at a higher level a sort of strategic level people with um funding if you like to start to say 
Um, how do we work together? We've all we're all involved in this. We're all coming across it in our own organisations, in our own departments. So what happens next? How do we make this sustainable? How do we make this joined up? Um, how do we support families better going forward? So that's what I'm trying. That's what some I've got some energy going into at the moment. <laughs> And um, it's slightly nerve wracking because I'm outside my comfort zone again. <laughs> uh, but that's, yeah, that's what I'm um, trying to think about at the moment. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Helen. I think that's um, it's very admirable. I like I like hearing that you're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone as well, because <laughs> it again, it makes it, you know, it gives a little bit of encouragement to all of us to do that. I think that's a, a good place to be. And um it's been a real privilege to have this conversation with you today. And I know, as I said, but your book is, I just couldn't believe how much knowledge um, and resource there is in the, in the book. And it's just so easy to read and enlightening on, on the topic and practical, actually, to help you. Well, so thank you. thank you. Thank you for writing it. And that's, I mean, all, everything that you said is, is what was at the back of my mind that I wanted it to be so accessible and to be very practical. So I'm so glad that it's hit the mark and that you found it useful in that way. It's, it's very encouraging to hear. I should say that as soon as it's, of course, as with every book, as soon as it's published, you start doing the, the corrections and the updates. So I've got a big file on my computer for um a few years time when we do a, a second edition or whatever there's because and that's partly because um you know there's there is it's been a the last few years have been a time of immense growth in knowledge and understanding and research so you know I, the, the having to do updates is frustrating but it's also good because that we're moving on so fast yeah and i suppose the only other thing we did mention the website holes in the wall uk brilliant that's a great place for people to go and find out more and i always say that it's um it's not my website it's everybody's website because it's a place um for people i i welcome contributions if people want to write a blog if they want to share something they've read whatever they want to do tell me about a training or a conference um it's a place for people to network and and, and meet together so yes please brilliant Okay, thank you very much, Helen. And um, we do look forward to the to the next next stage of the development. And if, when there's a second edition, I look forward to reading that as well. And um, <laughs> for your project, thank you so much for having me today. It's been a real um, pleasure to speak with you and to um, share my excitement and my journey. <laughs> thank, you. thank you. Thank you.